Welcome to Mission Daily. This is producer Rachel Kanya. Today, Chad sits down with Mark Testoni, CEO of SAP National Security Services, a software company that applies advancements in artificial intelligence and machine learning to problems such as cybersecurity and counterterrorism. Mark's journey to becoming CEO is an atypical one. Starting as a high school janitor, Mark joins the Air Force, where he learned about the importance of national defense and security, not through physical weapons, but rather through technology. He worked his way up in the cybersecurity industry until he became CEO of NS2. On this episode of Mission Daily, Mark discusses the importance of leaders having empathy, how to mitigate your weaknesses by surrounding yourself with the right people, and a few key takeaways on how NS2 has grown so quickly. Mission Daily is created by our team at mission.org. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you're out here for a wedding, you mentioned, right? Yes, uh, one of our uh, leaders is getting married this weekend. And, uh, you know, it's just it's fortuitous to be able to come by to your studio and uh, and do this rather than doing these scratchy phone call thing and, <laughs> and the and the earpiece falls out and all those good things. So, no, thanks for having me, Chad. I'm, I'm, yeah, of I'm course. I'm glad to, you, know, you guys have put together an impressive, you know, podcast oh, series here. Yeah, and likewise, too. So in studying your background... My uh, VP of Ops, Albert, he's based in North Carolina. And I think there's about three missed calls when we originally booked you where Albert was like really, really, he wasn't in the military, uh, but he's a big fan and big supporter. So when we did book you, he was super fired up and uh, wanted to give me you know, your whole life story right away. And I have it. It's awesome. And I was hoping we could just maybe start from the beginning. So we're we go back up. to the time of the dinosaurs and Please, move yeah. forward. Okay. <laughs> yes, they were crawling the earth. So uh, I don't know how you want to take it, but yeah. Uh, as we all have, we'd had an interesting, in my case, 64 years of wandering the earth. And um, I wasn't the best of students in school. Same. So, you know, I, I, I know you're a military veteran as well. So, I, you know, I really, and, and you were in the, in the military at a time where there was far more conflict than, than I was. And your service and the service of many, coll- you know, of your generation has been huge in our lifestyle today still. I mean, it's, it's protected our way of life. So I appreciate that. And thank you for, for what you've done. For oh, the right military back at you. And how, you know, you've, the focus of some of this is really around that. But it's interesting, you know, we have different things happen in our lives. And I spent, I didn't really have a lot of confidence as a young man. And um, for probably a variety of reasons. Finally, uh, after dropping out of college a couple of times, after kind of an undistinguished career as a high school student, my dad kind of sat down and said, hey, man, you know, we got to get you some employment if you're not going to go to school. And sounds days, sounds uh, t- sound shockingly familiar. familiar. <laughs> I love it. So my dad, he was he was sly as a fox. Uh, he was an educator. And he says... Uh, so it was my dad. He was a teacher. He was a teacher. Maryland. My yeah. dad was a teacher. And then he was an administrator, principal, and a Title One uh, program director. And he said, well, I'm going to find, you know, I'm going to help you find a job because you don't have any health insurance. You know, we, we don't worry so much about that today, but we did back then. And so he um, he uh, he got me a job in education as a custodian in a high school or a janitor. So I'm like 20 years old. So I'm not much older than and I'm in a high school and I'm pushing a broom and cleaning up using the green stuff to clean up the vomit and, you know, cleaning bathrooms and all that. But that actually was the beginning of a renaissance for me because uh, I had to learn basic discipline. Right. And I don't know about young people today, but I, I just was not disciplined and I had little confidence. So I, I started creating like rolling confidence. I got to work on time. And if I didn't, 
we had punch cards in those days, something like the Flintstones. But literally, if you if I was two minutes late, I got my pay docked. Now my pay back then was three dollars and twenty five cents an hour. So you know that's so you lose a quarter, and that's a pretty big deal. Substantial. <laughs> that's a substantial loss. Yeah. So you know, but I knew I didn't want to do that forever. And I, but I, I met a, a bunch of people in a variety of socioeconomic environments, diverse group, and um, I was offered a promotion, which was a kind of like stunning thing to me. Oh, I'm doing a good job. <laughs> I didn't even realize it, you know. So, but I said, no, I needed to find another way. So I, the Air Force became that that way. So um, I, I enlisted in the Air Force, and about a year after I uh, did that, and um, I went off into the military. And that's really where, to me, again, another big factor for me was, and I think it has, has great potential influence a lot of folks that were like me. I was able to to grow. I was able to create discipline. I learned how to fold my underwear. I learned how to make a bed. I learned how to get up. I, you know, all those little basic things, you know, right. how to march. Yeah. And I had leadership opportunities very early on in the military when I was into technical training. Probably the most poignant thing was after uh, I was pulled in by a couple of NCOs and they said, hey, we want you to be the student leader of the entire school that I was in. And again, I looked in the mirror and go, I must be because I'm the old guy. Because I was like two years older than everybody, or a year older than everybody. And uh, it happened to be a woman that was actually that drove that. So, you know, uh, and that was pretty important time. So the military became a real platform for me. And I, I really got focused on education. Went back, got to school with a purpose. So I was going to night school and working mostly days, weekends. I was going to school. And ultimately um, had an opportunity to get a commission in the military, as, as you know, Chad, uh, what that is, and became an officer and ended up with a great military career. Uh, there's so many things I wanted to dive into there. The first one is, so I had a very similar experience. I was an only child and from a small town in Western Maryland. And so a lot of early situations where- What's you know, out in Maryland? Police, fights, stuff like that. Boonsboro. Boonsboro. No, Boonsboro, no, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I grew and, up um, in the Baltimore area, so- I, Okay, yeah. yeah, very cool. It wasn't as much, um, I think, a lack- there was definitely a lack of confidence for sure, but it was also something in my mind where, you know, I couldn't really find an adventure of any sorts. It was, it felt stifling. Like the frontiers were, there was no frontier. There was no, you know, we're not going into space anymore. We're not at bad eyesight. So like the air force was, yeah, that was uh, a non-starter for flying. I had yep. Very bad eyesight. Yeah. And um, so I, I settled on the, uh, the army and I joined, it was in for six years before that it was just a shock for me. I just rebelled in school. I hated it. I'd love to read, love to learn just not in the format that school presented. So I tried some different options, went to college, dropped out and uh, joined the army, went to Iraq, Egypt, Obama's first inauguration. It was just the absolute best experience that you never yeah. would have created for yourself. But after you're finished with it, uh, you're just so glad you did it and so glad that you you know took the risk. So I'm curious to know when you were getting into the Air Force, when you were going through all of that, dropping out of school, dropping back in, that's obviously really hard, I think, from a cultural standpoint, because your friends, your family, they see you kind of struggling and it's not yet clear that your story is going to work out and that like I have the show notes in front of me that you're going to be able to achieve all this. So how did you push through some of those hard moments where friends, family, uh, maybe teachers um, or officers in the Air Force kind of doubted you? You know, it's it's it, that's a really good question. First of all, I think you and I need to start like an association of <laughs> college dropouts. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we ought to start some sort of a there should be a fraternity or something, you know, successful college dropouts. 
I, I felt like I hit bottom when I dropped out the last time and my dad had to sit down and I, you know, you, you feel embarrassed by your own situation. Completely. I'm sure yeah. you felt the same way. And it was like my dad, who I had a challenge, challenging relationship for a lot of my, but he came through for me big time at that most critical time, you know? So I would say that was probably a big factor. And he was the one that really helped me to start believing myself. And then you were a janitor and that helped, it, it hugely helped me. I guess, yeah. you know, confidence is like, you know, we see it like in sporting in games, like a football game, or you see, you know, the waves of, of when teams are confident they're performing versus when they're not. And it's not quite the same, but it is the same. And, and it's a momentum building thing. So yeah. the more you believe in yourself, the more success you can create, the more confident you are. So then when the next hit comes, shocking, and they always come, right? it's easier to deal with. Right. And it's not about, and you got to depersonalize. I mean, I think, I don't know how you were, but I took a lot of this, you know, some of my, I mean, I, I kind of, the lack of confidence was also doubting and it was like, I'm a failure. I honestly yeah, believed I was a failure. Failure, shame. There was not, it was not clear that there was any path I could take that was going to lead to me looking at myself as a success. That's how I was feeling. Right on the same way I felt. But once you have these little successes and yeah. they may look little now but they aren't little and because they make such a big difference when somebody asks you to run you know like to be the student leader of something and you didn't you know it's like or when they offer you a promotion that you and those were hugely important things to me and the military thing it's also a good transition because in in those days and i think still today when you go into the military that that is considered a positive thing. So the ecosystem around you says, oh, well, he's going to clean his life up right? <laughs> at worst case. Or Definitely you know, heard that as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I think confidence builds on itself. And I think one of the things we have to do as leaders is create situations for our the people around us, whether they're our family members or our employees or colleagues at work, to have the opportunity to succeed and in some cases fail and overcome those tactical failures. Sure. And um, the janitor career and uh, stint as a janitor, I think, is is awesome because if I look at my early jobs and it was almost like that experience of just doing horrible, horrible work or selling vacuum cleaners door to door, like we right. were talking about were before, talking about vacuum. Yeah. it kind of arms you with, I don't want to say like irrational confidence, but it just arms you with this type of uh, belief that like if things have been this bad before, every day here, you know, every day in business is, uh, is wonderful. I, I think of some of like the worst things that have happened in business to me and it's, it's nothing. I, I've seen way, way crazier stuff before. And people talk about entrepreneurship is hard. It certainly is, but what's way harder is kind of like starting at the bottom with no education. So that's a good point. And I, we, we always, one of the things I think it also creates is empathy. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, um, one of the, one of my goals, and I've had this goal for the last uh, year or so, and I've I've not achieved it, and I've just kind of dabbled, but I haven't really pushed on it. But I I'm going to now that I'm putting myself on the record on this podcast again. Is you know we have like I notice the janitorial people in our building. I have a common bond with them, and I talk to them, and many of them have Hispanic. You know they don't speak a lot of English, so one of my goals. And I'm going to put it on, but I will do it by the end of this, well, not by the end, of, by the middle of next year. So I want to be able to speak to them in their tongue. Very cool. So I want to learn enough Spanish that I can communicate with. Because they're important, even though they're a contractor, they're important to the company, just like everybody, the other 800 people. So 
empathy, I think, is a really important thing for a leader to kind of demonstrate. And having those experience, having worked your way from Wherever. selling vacuums sure. or or cleaning three twenty five an hour minimum wage, three, minimum wherever wage jobs yeah. up, it gives you, you helps you understand people in your organization. And I would say that's something that I try to remember every day. Same here. And uh, Mark, so I'm curious, you went into the Air Force, you became an officer. Uh, I think you finished your career as deputy director. Uh, deputy director of the, you know, I was basically, we did the financial position for the Air Force. Yeah. So I was sure. in that. And so, but that, uh, there's so much there. That's a 20 year career. In the beginning, were there any, you know, major inflection points or moments maybe when you got your commission or leading up to it uh, that you feel helped set you up for success in business later on? I guess I mentioned I got my degree. And when I, when I got into the officer corps, I mean, there were a lot of things that happened along the way to get there. But a couple of things happened that, that I think are important. Um, you know, the military, as, as you may recall, there's kind of a like a, a planning process associated with career management, whether you're an enlisted person or an starts officer. Very early right? It starts yeah. early, which is good. Definitely, right? yeah. It creates some foundation. There's there's training ra- roadmarks and all that. And But I think as planning is important, and I think that framework is good, it really, one of the things it did, it, it gave me a real appreciation for career development. And, and as a leader, one of the things I need to worry about is not my career, but mostly the career of the people around me and yeah. who work for me. But I, I would think a couple of things, you know, really kind of stuck out. One was I'd been an officer for a while. I was in this financial tech kind of thing. And, and I had it, I found an opportunity to go work in the private sector for a year. And I went in and it was in financial services. Was and, it like an executive swap or what, how, yeah, how's like, that program? Yeah, it was a mid-grade. I mean, I was, okay, gotcha. I was, a, I was a 03 mil- captain, sure. Air Force captain at the time. And it was an opportunity. And I had almost universally all the career manager types in my career field would tell me, oh, this is a horrible thing to do. Don't do this. <laughs> and because it wasn't part of the, the oh, normal. Man. But it was one of those things. And something I've learned is, is that you always want to have some kind of a plan, but you don't want to to be so rigorous that you can't, you miss opportunities. Yeah. So I learned so much in that year about how, you know, it reinforced things I learned in school about how the financial, how important the financial systems in this country are, how the the government relies on them in many ways. And I got to meet people in the banking industry and I got to go to New York and see Wall Street financial at the time back in the 1980s where the names were different, but they did the same kinds of things. So- before that's, 87 too, I'm, yeah, I'm guessing right before, before it yeah. was right before the 87 problem. But I mean, and, and the, and I, I remember spending like three weeks at a bank called Manufacturers Hanover, which nobody knows what that is. I think it's maybe part of the city group now. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but the, the point is, is that I think the thing, so that was a big thing. I made a, I went a different direction. The career managers didn't like it. It ended up turning out being a hugely good decision for me, not only from learning that, but then when I get back in, I had opportunities. I ended up getting early promotions, an early promotion to to major, another one to lieutenant colonel, because opportunities that spooled off of that. Had I stayed on the regular, right? This is the the road everyone follows. I might not have had those opportunities. So have a plan, but don't have it so rigorous that you miss opportunities. That sure that and don't let people talk you out of what your gut wants you to you know, thinks is the right thing. Well, Doesn't mean you'll take advice, but yeah. yeah. And I think that's interesting too, because you went, came to the end of that program. And after that point, I'm sure that uh, the other officers that were, or your promotions board or however that was structured, 
it was pretty obvious or was it obvious to them that you had a completely different skill set now than the average uh, yeah. Air Force officer? You know, I, I don't think it was so much that because then I, you know, really in those days and it still is, I came back in, I, I went to a place because of that job where I, I ran into a, a very dynamic uh, general officer by the name of Charlie Metcalf, who brought me up to be his exec and but he saw me because I briefed him on some things that had resulted from this. And that led me on my career. And I mean, he, he became one of my key big senior executive sponsors, which is something that we need public, private, government, military. You know, you need to be a sponsor and you need sure. or a mentor and you need people to feel comfortable to want to be mentored. You need to identify those key people. You know, it's one of these things where if you make another decision, maybe I never run into Charlie Metcalf or Clyde Jeffcoat, who was another one later. Who knows what happens? But right. my, I trusted my gut because I was curious, which is another thing I think that we always have to remain. You know, obviously as an entrepreneur, you're a very curious guy because to start a business like this, you had an idea. And But curiosity is another thing that people, I think I really look for that in people. Same. Uh, yeah. If, if you're not curious, if you kind of want to sit back and let it flow to you, it doesn't mean you're not a good, but you're not going to be a great leader if you're not curious. Yeah. And your chances of discovering stuff just fall exponentially. And there's more, there is a little bit of danger involved in being curious, but it's, uh, especially in America, it's pretty safe these days to you know take some risks. Not a lot of, can't fall too so far. So I don't know if I answered your question there, but no, no, all good. we, yeah. yeah, it plan, but not too rigorous, be curious and mentor people and, and look for mentors. I mean, I'm still at 64, I'm still looking for mentors. You know, Definitely. And so, and, um, and they're not all older than me either, by the way, a lot of them are young. Same, same. And I, I think that's, that brings up an interesting point because when I found myself falling into that trap that I think K through 12 inadvertently projects onto us, the trap of this person's such and such age. So they're, you shouldn't talk to them or you should be intimidated by them or this person's younger. So they don't know as much. And um, that type of ageism or whatever you want to call it, always blinds you to learning something. So it's, um, I think that associating with people of all different ages is the only way to get a perspective on what's really happening in the world. What do millennials really care about? What do uh, the boomers, what are they thinking about? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I, I was, uh, two things that I can respond to that. One, I was in an offsite this week where, you know, a bunch of mid forties and up people were trying to decide, you know, we were discussing what millennials <laughs> And I'm, I'm looking in the audience. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm, it's half tongue in cheek. We brought a couple. I mean, when I do offsites, I grab people from all levels of the organization sure. along with the executive team. So, but I said, hey, guys, we can't be the one. We can't be here thinking, you know, we, we have to really ingrade we've, through focus groups and other methods we've got to get. And, and sometimes we forget that as, as leaders. The second thing is you, going back to your point on the learning from diversity is really important. So, I had an opportunity to experience a, a different kind of diversity in my life than maybe a lot of people do because uh, I, I, you know, 1983, I was blessed with a son whose name is Matt. And, uh, you know, his diversity was he was developmentally disabled. And um, we learn from everybody in our lives. And I can assure you, I've learned more from my son, the developmentally disabled, who today is 36 and probably, you know, mentally is probably between a 18 month and a five-year-old, but he's taught me more lessons than anybody else in the world. So we have to, we can't just look, we have to look at the world in a way that completely we find those lessons. And, you know, one of the things he taught me that's so important, and I would not be a CEO today had I not had him as a son. I'm completely convinced of that because so often in the society today, I think it's even worse. We have to look for what people can do. 
and not focus on what they can't do. Agreed. And so, you know, just, you know, kind of random in there, but really is, was that the concept of who you learn from is not this traditional hierarchical thing and uh, you never could, miss an opportunity to learn from somebody. I, yeah, I could not agree more. And thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioning Matt is it's so inspiring to when you encounter or get blessed with a, a son or children or, uh, you know, a family, I can't imagine a better learning vehicle for, you know, myself and for others. Um, but I'm curious, you know, how do you deal with those situations as a father, as a leader, when it's clear that who you were before isn't going to be, or maybe you're worried that it's not going to be sufficient to, you know, carry you through the next chapter? Um, how do you go about like, you know, building your confidence in your ability as a father, as a leader to inspire Matt, um, all those things? You know, it, it, that's a good question because one of the first things that we always have to do when we're presented with a situation is that we have to get past the grieving of that in some, it could be grieving or we, or that let's say it's a, something that didn't work out at work. I don't want sure. to call it a failure, but something that didn't work or you didn't get a job that you thought you should have gotten. And then you have to go through, everybody goes through a grieving cycle. It took me about 18 months or so with my son. And one day I just woke up and I said, you know what? Matt's going to have a different pace. It doesn't mean he can't be successful. So my job is just like any other father is to help my child be as successful a human being as he can be. Or at work, if you know you didn't get some promotion, and we've all been there. I mean, you right. know, was, there's been time. There were times in my career, both more in the private sector. Well, I thought maybe I had, had should have had the opportunity for that job. It didn't happen for a reason. So what am I going to do? Why didn't I get it? Why was it important? Or was it important? And then. You know, I my confidence built. I'm very confident in my my own ability now, but I wasn't that way, say, 25 to the extent 25 years ago. I think you just have to remain. You have to believe in yourself first. If you don't believe in yourself, find ways, even small ways. Because if you don't believe in yourself, how can you expect somebody else to believe in you? Yeah, and there's usually something that is in your daily behavior patterns where you're better than everyone around you. You're better at that thing. And like zeroing in on that is just so, so important. That That is, you know, that it is important to find those strong, strong pillars and then understand also what those things that you don't do so well. Yeah. You know, as a leader, surround, make sure you mitigate your own because we have to mitigate. We take the strengths, as I mentioned earlier, we want to find what people can do, but we have to mitigate the weaknesses in some cases Definitely. too. So when I look at myself, you know, one of the things that I don't do well, I'm not the most tactically organized human being. I, you know, I don't, I don't log well. I don't document well. And, you know, I've got a lot of ideas and I've got, I got a file cabinet between my ears that really works well. I hope it will continue for a while. So, you know, I've worked on that and I'm better than I was maybe. But we, ha we all have to find these things and we all, we have to admit to them. And then when we have setbacks, like I said, there's always like a grieving cycle. We have to respect sure. the fact that, okay, it's all right to feel like a little down for a while, but yeah. don't become obsessed with what do you want to do next? What What is the opportunity? Uh, yeah. And, and then your gut is such a good decision guide. I mean, it's like the strongest thing. And, and I, I've had a couple opportunities that I didn't take. And I'm so thankful that I didn't. Same. Uh, I, 
you know, yeah. and my gut was like, where you know it's going to be alarm. perfect, and or, or or you're getting that you know warning that it's, that it's warning. a horrible and, thing. Yeah, and it's sometimes the decisions we don't make are so good, are yeah. important yeah. as the ones we do. So, Mark, when you started to transition out of the Air Force. And was there a uh, transition program in place then? And um, how did you make that leap into the private sector for good? So, or maybe for not, I don't know. That's, the story's that's funny. Still being that's, written. It's funny. It was 1997 and it was kind of funny because I left the military large. I had a really good career going. I probably, you know, can't, but I probably would have been a, you know, general officer in the air force and, and that would have been great, but I didn't want this, I was at a bridge time with my son. So I didn't, you know, my son was 12, 13 years old. I didn't, I didn't want to spend the next six, five, six, seven, ten 10 years overseas or somewhere where I couldn't be with him. So I decided to, to, uh, to retire because I had the ability to do it. And at that time they were just starting the concept of transition. They used to just like, you just walked out the door. <laughs> that was it. But the transitions programs back there, I'm not saying they're great today. I don't, I less familiar with though they invest in them more. But they were basically, it was like a, a one-week seminar, and you had to go the first morning for two hours and sign the log, and then you got the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah, that's... I, mean, I don't know how it was for you, but that was about... There was a splash of that. A splash of for that. Sure, yeah. So that resonated. But, you know, it's funny. It's Networks are really important in mentors. So I knew, you know, like a year before and six, eight months before, I started talking to people and... I had a couple of friends who worked with me at the time who were civilian employees in the in the uh, DOD and they happened they happened to be in a meeting with with some executives at Oracle and the Oracle guy says, "Hey, do you know anybody who really knows how like the government work, the DOD and the government works that, you know, you could recommend us?" And they said, "Yeah, Mark Testoni, he's getting ready to retire. You want to talk to him?" Well, that led to again, this is networks and mentors and all that. That led to opportunity for me. So I was fortunate. I had three or four offers, but Oracle gave me the first one. And I was kind of like, well, they were here first. So, and iconic I, company and, and I'm, an I'm iconic a big fan. name. Yeah. It was Oracle you know, Defense, right? That, or Oracle, what was it called? Federal, it, was, federal. It, was, it, was, it was part of Oracle. So sure. it, was, it was good. And, and they offered, you know, I got my, my offer and I'll never forget looking and I'm going, let's see, they're going to pay me all this money. So, <laughs> Because compared to what I was making, even as an officer in those <laughs> days in the Air Force, was yeah. not very much. And so it was like when I was getting out, my transition plan was: here's I, I this is the absolute worst case scenario. I had it all planned out. If I can't find a job, I'm going to go bartend, just like I did. That was one of my jobs before I came in, and I know I can make forty thousand a year doing that, and I'll get my military retirement, and I can pay my mortgage. Good to go. Live I'm anywhere in go. the world. Yeah. So that was my transition plan. But but the net was is it turned out to be really, really great um, for me to go to Oracle at that time. And 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 what what you do when you transition, and I think it doesn't matter what, you know, if you're coming out of college even, what do you do well? Because that's what gets you, you know. That that often is something you can start with. So if you're a really good writer, for example, jump in and on your team and write. Yeah. Or if you're really good, you have a really good technical mind and you can help solve. Find an anchor, but then don't just focus on that. Learn. So what I did is I went in and I helped them. They were going through certifications around things that they were, you know, uh, application software for the federal government. And I really helped them. At the same time, I was able to learn the Oracle technology platform, how their applications were put together, because I took the time to learn it. And sometimes, you know, that, that was an hour or two at night on top of spending, you know, whatever. But it was brilliantly helpful to me understand how enterprise software 
is put together and how it works. Yeah. So, you know, never miss those opportunities to learn again. I'm still looking for them. Yeah. Wise words for sure. And I uh, am just reminded of, you know, coming out here, I was still kicking around a horrible business idea at the time. We got some offers for uh, funding, but my co-founder and I at the time decided it's not going to be a good fit. So I looked for other opportunities. Uh, I got an offer for an enterprise sales role at a company. And when I was preparing for that, you know, that series of interviews, uh, as I was going through them, one of the things I noticed was some of the other people applying for the role and people inside the company, they didn't know anything about the company and it's, it's history. And I would just engage them in conversation and I could tell that they hadn't studied. And that's what gave me the courage to take the ideas I was working on and go out and do them. Um, it was at the time, one of the fastest growing revenue companies in the Valley. It was, um, st it's still a great company and I was honored for the opportunity. However, getting to meet all those individuals and see firsthand what was going on at you know, a startup, a fast growing company was what convinced me that I needed to do it. But it wasn't until I got you know, around everyone, engaged them in conversation that I was even aware of this or even aware that, yeah, there's a high probability I could make this work. And um, worst case, I'll have a company like this and uh, it's all, or it fails yeah. or whatever. And um, so when you got into Oracle, were there any situations like that where you discovered that that one to two hours you were spending at night could put you not just ahead, but on like a rocket ship trajectory? You know, it's, it's Chad, I'm really glad you asked this question because one of the things I think there's, there's two focus things you, you have to be careful of. And, and first, somebody once said that 90% of life is showing up or something like that, right? It yeah. really is. And showing up means just if you do a little bit of homework, it goes yeah. a long way. But I always felt the most important thing for me, and this, this worked in my military career, and it still worked today. I've spent almost all my focus on being the most, doing the best job I can do at whatever I'm doing at the time. So, you know, like your story of, I'm going to start this company. If it doesn't work, you know, okay, well then we'll go on to the next idea, but I'm going to throw everything at it. Every time I, you know, I, with that approach, other people, you kind of build some momentum around yourself. So in Oracle, as we, we went to, through some of these certification processes and we started winning some business, what's the old story? Um, success has a thousand mothers and failures and orphan, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. people want to be around people that are building even small amounts of success. Yeah. So, and I didn't worry too much about what my next job was, to be honest with you. I mean, and I haven't really, I mean, you always think about it a little bit, you know, it's a 1% focus. It's, I think a lot of people yeah. are so worried about the plan and how do I get to the next one? Making sure it looks and feels perfect and, it, and, and, and never then, will. <laughs> where am I going next? What's yeah. When do I get the promotion? And and quite honestly, I've thought less about that. There are a few times in my career where I felt like, hey, it's time for me to be promoted. And I've gone and lobbied for it, but that's not really what me. And so even this job that I have today, you know, it, it wasn't like I was out campaigning for it. It just it happens because if you do good things and you're successful, you build momentum and people recognize it. And, and yeah. believe me, leadership in companies for the most part wants to hire talented people, not, you know, cronies and things like that. They, so there's a lot of people, we've all seen them that go out and campaign for everything. They spend right. most of their time on a campaign. I mean, let other people campaign for you, do right? Do the because best you can in your job. People come in and they may talk to me about a promotion and, and, and that's fine. I don't mind it. And, and I'll say, you know what? I don't promote people basically because I think they need to promote. The walls tell me, hey, dummy, you better promote that person. The walls being, 
Sure. Yeah. The, the, the people. That. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that is important too for leaders because we can all fall into traps of ego and things of that nature. And when you're continually trying to get an objective sense about what's going on from your whole team, the whole organization, the janitors, the everybody, that's the only way to get an accurate picture of what's going on. Um, so are there any other maybe tips or advice you have for uh, CEOs who are trying to get that, you know, that accurate picture, that MetTC or uh, whatever you want to call it of the business landscape out there? You know, in the in the 1980s, they talked that was after the dinosaurs, but before humans, I think. They talked a lot about management by walking around. You know, you have to be you have to be visible in your organization. Now, physical visibility isn't always something you can be, but the people in the company need to feel like that you're approachable. You, you know, whether it's electronically or right. or or physically because you happen to be in their office. So and I, I, that's something I constantly look at and, and you want to be able to, and, and there's things you need to do as a leader. So I think that's very important. And then you need to, you know, what is a CEO's primary function? Is it to run the day-to-day business? Well, in some times it may be, uh, but really you try to hire the right people to do that. It's to set the vision and the cadence for the company right. and then make sure that the company's kind of meandering in that direction, Right. One of the things that that I you know we're really working on right now because culture is so important. You know, how do you the CEO help evolve the culture? Is making sure that everybody in the company and we've acquired three companies and we've you know so we're you know we've mixed some cultures. How do I make sure that everybody understands where we are trying to take this place? So we went really recently went through an exercise where we did um, my uh, chief culture officer and I sat down and we she's but we spent hours and she interviewed me and we wrote a vision document, four page vision document. At the same time, we engaged people from all over the company to work on a mission and vision statement. Not executives, by the way, they were all, and and she facilitated that. These are all things that not only did they come up with just, I think a great product, if you've got our our mission and and vision uh, as to what we do at SAP National Security Services, but it got, helped the company buy in. People understood there were like 15, 20 or 30 of their colleagues were in rooms with the sticky things on the board and, you know, and they really came up with a great product. So the fact that you listen and you, and, and it's a two-way dialogue, you know, one of the things I want to do too is, is kind of the old reverse mentorship program. That's something that I've heard from other CEOs and others that's really working is like, Hey, let's have young people in the organization yeah. mentor you on how and, and their perspective. So there's lots of techniques, but you've got to be connected. It probably... Second thing a CEO has to do is they have to be, you know, the ambassador and thought leader for their company. Uh, right. So that's a whole nother, but, but I think connecting to your organization and trying to get people motivated and whipped up around the mission is really, really important. Agreed. And so you are at Oracle, you transitioned to uh, SAP and S2, or is there, is there a stop in between? Well, I went over to SAP for a while because we're an independent subsidiary and that kind of a complicated matter it has to do with foreign ownership. But I sure. went over to SAP, I got an opportunity to be promoted to run their federal business. And um, and then ultimately I took over their government business. And uh, it was a company I'd competed with when I was at Oracle and it was fun to go over and be on the other side. And, you know, it was, again, great opportunity to learn, learn new people, new 
bureaucracy, which is very important. But um, opportunities came about because I was successful there, which led to when SAP did some acquisitions, they had to set up what's called a foreign ownership control and influence mitigated company, which means you effectively have to spin it out under a separate board of directors. They get the financial benefit, but they can't control it because of work in the national security space. And when SAP acquired Sybase back in 2010, I don't think they were aware at the time, but they acquired a lot of business that then required them to go to that mode. So, so that kind of, the opportunity came about where I was asked to take this over. You know, I, it was good time because it was, it wasn't that I was necessarily looking for something, but I felt like, I don't know if I would have stayed running a sales organization for another five years at SAP. And it was, again, another one of these just magical opportunities and I made the right decision to go. And, you know, we started, and now we're probably seven, eight times larger after eight years. And it's just a lot of fun. Congrats. That's yeah. impressive growth for sure. And uh, so these days you're based in Northern Virginia. And I'm curious, what's your uh, day-to-day like with uh, your your role? And how are you um, thinking about like the future of that role and uh, the business? So there's, you know, two or three things that are really important to me, you know, on a day-to-day basis. I li- you know, we live in Northern Virginia, just outside the Beltway and all the fun there. Um, and we're a we're becoming a global you know we were kind of a US base you're supposed to, we're focused in the national security space but then along comes the side the really acceleration of cyber threat in 2013 and companies start looking at how they're how global much of global exposure and they have to their business so we became a really value added partner parent SAP where we would do a lot of business for their customers like product support and services work and setting up secure clouds not the regular public or, right. or you know the clouds, but actually in a little more secure government standards met environment, which allowed for for great growth. I mean, I think on a day-to-day basis, my job is to do a few things. One, how do I create the vision and drive the organization? But when I wake up in the morning, I look at my mirror, I look at myself in the mirror and wonder how my grandfather's face got there first. And then second, I say, what are the two or three things I've got to get done today? that are really important. Yeah. And I, I make a mental note of those things and, and I and I and I try to get those things done. They don't it doesn't always happen. But you know, I don't go in and just get on email. I mean, I, yeah. let me get my own agenda. Make yeah, sure that my because two to three things that can't be delegated. It's so or, it's or such a you know thing where you, you know eat the frog in the morning or whatever you say. And by the time that's done, you uh you feel so good. Or at least you I have, do. You feel like you have a sense of accomplishment because it's and those are important things. It's not yeah. like I brushed my teeth, <laughs> although that may be important. Yeah, or not I bad. took a shower. That might even be more important. Yeah. But it, it's more like you know whatever those those agendas those things are. At the end of the day, I kind of take stock of of that, and it's not like a formal thing. I just I'm driving out of there. I'm going to a dinner or whatever. I'm thinking, All right, did I get those things done? Yeah. What do I got to queue up tomorrow? I think that's. That goes back to that discipline thing. It's kind of like when you're in basic training and they teach you how to fold your underwear, right? Which I don't know about you, but I still follow mine the same way. Uh, confession to make, I, I don't. I, oh, actually, don't? I stopped folding my underwear and it was. <laughs> I roll them I'm, up. I'm not spoiled, not spoiled now, but um, I'm, yeah, very grateful that uh, Steph is, my wife is awesome. <laughs> I have a, I have, let's not get into wives. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'll really get in trouble. Yeah, tangent. Yeah, sorry. I'm only kidding, but. But so, I know what you mean yeah. for for a long time and getting ready for those deployments and everything. I was right it's, there. But it's it's up. not even a matter of what. It's just like there's certain things you make your bed. You do. You know. I think uh, Adam McRaven in the exactly, famous yeah. speech. Yeah. Get up and make your bed. But I love the story. His wife says, 
you haven't made your bed in 20 years. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, you know. well, even I think as leaders, like even yeah. when we're, we don't do something, sometimes there's weeks, months, mm. or even an entire quarter goes by. And we know that there was something that we should have completed, but we just didn't get to. It's hard, right? So we all have these behavior patterns that yeah. suggest that we, you know, avoidance behavior. So we have to overcome those and we have to confront that in ourselves. All right, definitely some things for, for a period of time. But but a, C, a CEO, it's again, it's it's vision. It's making sure the company's operating today as a, as a company that's becoming kind of global in nature um, and, and large, you know, not large as the biggest, but, you know, sizable. The cyber threat is something that's on my mind constantly, both as a provider of capabilities to support that, but more importantly, how do I make sure that we're protecting the company and sure. its brand I mean, security is in our name. So if we are not secure, we're now like sending it probably even more so than financial. So those kinds of things I think are really important. I think CEOs need to, the security posture of their company, it doesn't matter what you do, even what you do is so critically important. Um, it can affect your brand. It can affect your right. financial situation. If you're publicly traded, it can affect your stock price um, and your shareholders. So, you know, I go, I, I I think I got derailed from your question a little bit, but it's simple things. Just making a tactical plan every day, making sure that you're building and, and then thinking about, I mean, my job is where is the company going to be in three years? I mean, that's what I'm shaping right now. It, and I'm involved in some tactical business, but my primary response, and then how do I build the coalitions with other right. companies and other stakeholders to get us there? And that's really... And then how do I develop, probably the most important is how do I develop the people? As you know, there's going to be a time, probably less for years rather than more, that I'm not going to be doing this anymore. How do I, how do I make sure that the, the key 25 or 30 people stay? And then who are we grooming to take those key positions on? And personnel development, attracting and maintaining talent's really important. Now, if somebody comes along and, and, and gets just a great opportunity, I want them to take it if it's elsewhere. But you don't want people to leave because they're frustrated or they don't feel like anybody cares. Sure, and yeah. That all goes back to the culture thing again. When it comes to uh, attracting, recruiting, retaining, and developing uh, talent, I'm curious to know, what are your thoughts on your your company's recruiting right now. So are you, you know, are you actively looking to hire secret clearances, TS clearances? Are you focused on engineers? Uh, executives from the Air Force, um, where are you all at and are you hiring uh, actively? We now? are we are hiring and, and it's kind of in a couple areas. First of all, on general, what I'm looking for is I'm always, I have my eyes open for talent. So that talent can come in many forms, but if I see a talented person, I will engage that person. And sure. even if it might not be for two years that there's actually an opportunity or if somebody's talented enough, I'll create a position for them. I mean, it's I don't think you can ever bring enough talent onto your team. Agreed. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm you know I'm selfish. I want to have all the talent I get. Technically, we are we are always looking for talented engineering staff. If they have clearances, even better. What's fascinating about that? We're trying to get our customers, a lot of whom, and we haven't talked too much about the company, but a lot of them are in the classified realm, and they they think everything needs to be done behind the wall. But a lot of this stuff can actually be done outside the wall mm -hmm. and you know where we can get more talent that so we don't have to put them through arduous rare security clearance processes which the government customers often control themselves so 
you know, I think as you know, one of the things we've that's important is we've got to convince, and it's not just this is just an example. We have to help our customers evolve too. That's one of the major things that we do. Is not only could we have to look to the future where we're going to be, but how are you going to, for example, meet a threat and get the talent because you don't have enough cleared you know spots for cleared people? How can we do that? So I view it, you know. The mission of our company is to really help custom, government customer exploit commercial software to do its missions and consume it really quickly. We got to help them break down some of their own barriers. That's a hard process. So, but it's one that we we stay after. As I tell my team, we have to be like the waves of the ocean. If we keep rolling in, eventually all those big rocks will turn into sand. And so, this for the same. We have to keep educating our customers as they educate us, and 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 to move. But yes, we're hiring engineering talent, talent in general. We're hiring young people. We're trying. We, we have a lot of opportunities for young people in our cloud operations. So we have we're massively growing a big cloud business around SAP and even other product capabilities. So, so a very exciting time. So yes, our website like out on our website. You know, reach out to us if you're interested. in yeah, please do. If you're listening and want to get involved in the national security space and um, yeah, work with an awesome team, this is a great opportunity. You know, back at that national, really quick on the national security space, one of the things I know folks of your generation and even the youngers, you know, kind of, you know, the higher cause is a really important part of the aspect of work. It's not just about the dollar chase or, I mean, that's always fun. Or ping pong or free. But free yeah, stuff. I mean, it's like, one of the things that's, good, that's interesting about our business is we are a higher calling. You know, I mean, when you talk about the defense of the nation and and supporting, you know, citizens and, and all that, it's something that 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 I think a lot of young people are attracted to. So we're excited about that. Yeah, I, I definitely see that uh, in my conversations with young people, where very very supportive of veterans, the military, and and folks in the d- defense space, uh, even out here in Silicon Valley. So. Mark, when you are in Northern Virginia and you get a rare moment to take a break from work, uh, what are you doing? Uh, are you taking, are you reading? Are you getting outside, hiking? What are you up to? So, um, Chad, what you'll find out in about 30 years is that when you're in your 60s, you have to eat half as much, work out twice as hard to stay the same weight. Can't wait. You know, I used to like to run, I'm a, uh, but I do kind of like total body kind of workouts and i uh, to my wife's chagrin, I bought a Peloton about oh, nice. three months ago, so I kind of alternate. And are you racing any uh, team members on there? Or, no, uh, keep, keep I, up I, kinda, I I compete against myself largely. I'm, I'm well not played, fast well enough to try to run the leaderboard with some of these people. I, it's a fascinating platform if, if for those of you who haven't used it. And yeah. I find it's a very motivating platform, by the way. And they have just absolutely outstanding instruction. So. Uh, so I do that. I also, I'm involved in some nonprofit activities. Uh, You've trained over 237 veterans yeah, at this point. Uh, for I was going to talk to yeah, Thanks for teeing yeah. that one up. Uh, one of the one, probably the one that brings us to heart is, you know, we have a, this nonprofit we started called NS2 Serves. And we've gone over actually 300 now. We take Congrats. military veterans, the harder to employ ones. And we all knew, knew them or have known them. Mostly enlisted, almost all exclusively sure. enlisted. Mostly I mean, that don't. was myself coming out of the military. Yep. So I was at E5 and yep. my peers, we didn't necessarily get the best advice. And I saw, I watched some people struggle, let's say. Yeah, no, I mean, it's tough. You, you were t- we were laughing about transition early, but it is hard. And a lot of these folks have really struggled. And particularly five, six, seven years ago, it's getting a little bit better now. But 
So we take mostly the hard to employ veterans, take that great skill set that you know come from military veterans, you know, teamwork, you know, kind of the mission focus, all those great right. things. And then we layer on training in SAP, new technologies, and then we get them employed. We hire some, but many of most of them are employed by our partners, um, companies like Deloitte, Accenture, the Department of Agriculture, Lockheed have all hired. And we've we've put 300 and change through now, and just about every one of them has had a career opportunity. And That's fantastic. We've had people that came to us who were homeless, living out of cars. I mean, not everybody was that, but the extremes. I can tell you, we, you know, it's the reason we started this is that we wanted to, to look back and we'll go back to the beginning of the podcast here. You know, the military came along for me when I needed it. I didn't realize maybe that was, but it did. And, and to me, this is kind of my way along with a lot of other people. This is, we're trying to give people a helping hand to greatness. And it's a fascinating to see what some of these young men and women have done. There's some, there's some uh, little bits out online and a few podcasts related to it and very People cool. Can find. For any veteran that's listening that wants more information, what's the best place to learn uh, about www.ns2serves.org. Uh, and uh, you, you can't help but find it out there uh, unless you just can't even Google. But uh, there's other, and I try to, I'm involved in other ones like Best Buddies and the Kidney Foundation and other things. But I, I would say to everyone, you know, and I tell the vet classes this, it's always important to find a way to give back. Giving back doesn't mean, oh, let me write checks. That's fine. But even if it's just a little bit of time, I mean, find something to give back. We all are blessed. Well said. Mark, you've been really generous with your time. Thank you so much. I know you have a wedding. One of your VPs of Inside Sales is getting married. Congratulations. I'll let you get off to that. Uh, before you leave, is there any uh, closing thought or uh, maybe call to action you have for our listeners? No, first, Chad, thank you so much for, for this opportunity. And we wandered around Likewise. the pasture. Hopefully we hit a few of the cow pies along the way. I don't know if we did or not, but- It was uh, a lot of fun. Thanks. I think I, I go back to a couple of things I said earlier. I just focus on the thing, you know, whatever your current job, career milestone is, really focus on that. Think about the future, but don't let it, don't become a captive of it. Plan, but don't become a captive of a plan either. Opportunities will come along and- be prepared to take advantage of them and never lose your curiosity. So I thank you again. Mark, thanks so much. And to everyone listening, we'll see you next time. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. 
It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.